ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. I am your host, Ben Pekulski, as always, bringing you the greatest guests on the planet to allow you to unlock the greatness that is inside of you. We are aspiring to bring you the best at the highest level of personal achievement, the highest level of human achievement. Today, we're going to teach you how to unlock your brain, how we're going to teach you how to unlock your unconscious programming. We've been going on this path a little bit lately with a few of the guests, and I want to keep driving it home because there are some immediate action items you can take right now to upgrade your life through accessing your unconscious and subconscious programs. Ultimately, the life that we live is a result of our thoughts, of our unconscious programming. And if you want to live the greatness that is in every one of us, today's guest is going to help you unlock it. Elliot Rowe joins me today to teach us about the unconscious, the subconscious, and ultimately how to access it through his modality called regression hypnosis. Now, this is not waving the the uh, watch in front of your eyes type of hypnosis. This is not uh, you are under my spell type of hypnosis. This is really, really scientifically validated changing of the unconscious programs. And Elliot and I have worked together personally over the last few months. And I can tell you truthfully that the results are nothing short of miraculous. As you guys know, I'm always on a quest to improve myself. I'm always trying new modalities and new therapies and new therapists and working through ways to really start to unwind the programming that was laid down for me early in childhood and express the greatness that I know exists in me and I know exists in you. And I'm so grateful to have someone of Elliot's caliber here. Elliot is literally world-class working with the top high performers in the world. And this is going to be so much value for you. So listen all the way through to the end. Today's podcast is brought to you by Bubs Naturals, the longtime sponsor of the podcast. You know, Bubs has been with us for almost five years now. And the reason they stay with us and the reason we stay with them is because we believe in the product and the listeners of this podcast support them religiously. Bubs is known for having the best collagen, the best MCT, and ultimately now they're adding a new complete range of products that you guys are going to love, just ultimately to help us access high-level products. The other thing I love about Bubs is that they're doing it with integrity. They're giving back with 10% of profits going to charity, specifically supporting the namesake of the company, Bub's Charity, which is giving back to um, military veterans and their families, which I absolutely love, support people who have given their lives or given a lot of their lives for the country and freedom. So thank you to bubsnaturals.com. You guys can access 25% off, which is more than ever. Normally it's 20. They're going to give you 25% off for this month only at muscleintelligence.com slash bubsnaturals muscleintelligence.com slash bubs, B-U-B-S, naturals with an S. Ladies and gents, do not neglect this amazing opportunity. Bubs has the highest quality collagen that exists, that if you're someone who's concerned about improving the complexion of your skin, the collagen elasticity, your fingers, fingernails, your hair, your skin, all of these amazing things, your joints, your blood sugar regulation, these are all the benefits of some collagen every day. Usually for myself, it's on the order of 30 to 40 grams. It's been suggested about 5 to 10% of your total protein intake should be coming from collagen to balance out the ratios of amino acids. And that's what I do with myself and all of my one-to-one clients. Today's podcast is brought to you by magbreakthrough.com. You guys know that magnesium is probably the most important supplement that I advocate to myself and all my clients, including my family. And magnesium breakthrough is seven different magnesium chelates. Why do you want seven different magnesium chelates? One, they all tend to uh, 
work on different tissues in the body a little bit differently. Certain ones will affect your muscular system, your nervous system, your digestive tract, and all the other organ systems in the body can be influenced through these different chelates of magnesium. My suggestion is that everyone takes these magnesium products uh, I mean, with obviously permission permission from your healthcare practitioner, always make sure you guys are getting these uh, supplements advocated by your doctor and whoever is ultimately looking after your health. Magnesiumbreakthrough.com slash muscle intelligence. Use the code muscle to get hooked up for 10 per, with 10% off and up to $200 in Black Friday gifts if you jump on it right now. So head over to Magnesium breakthrough.com slash muscle intelligence or just magnesiumbreakthrough.com. Use the code muscle to get hooked up with 10% off. Enjoy the show with Elliot. Yeah, so I got started in hypnotherapy um, because I had a fear of flying. So uh, I had a fear of flying. It would stop me taking long haul flights. I would travel short haul, but it would ruin my vacations. Really? So, so what, did that, what did that express like? Was it like was it like anxiety or just like Yeah, so so basically I had anxiety from the booking of the of the vacation. And then as I'd get like two weeks before, um, I'd just be like not sleeping as well. I'd be feeling like really uncomfortable. Um and then when I was getting like driving to the airport, um I, you know, I'd feel like I was driving to my execution, to be wow. honest. Like that that's how it felt for me. And then we'd go on vacation, we'd spend the time worrying about coming home, we'd get home and then I'd feel relieved that the trip was out of the way. Wow. Um, so very su substantial fear of flying. Someone recommended a hypnotherapist to me and I was very skeptical as most people are and went to a hypnotherapist and she managed to resolve it in an hour, which mm. completely changed my life. And what was interesting to me was the way it was resolved and what hypnotherapy actually was. So uh, I sort of went into this office, um, she taught me through a guided meditation. So I got very, very relaxed. Um, there's no collapsing like you would see in a stage show. I was just very relaxed. And she started to ask me about my feelings around my fear of flying. And initially it brought up some memories of turbulence on planes and things. And then it got to an earlier memory where I was about three or four years old. I was at my grandfather's house and I was shown a picture of a small private jet. And I was told it had crashed and killed. And as a kid, I was told it had crashed and killed his business partner. Um, what was interesting, and then she worked through the emotions of that. So, you know, because it's crashed, it doesn't mean it's dangerous, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what was interesting is it wasn't a memory I was consciously aware of. So, and then after the session, I felt fine about flying, which was crazy for me. Went and spoke to my mom and she was like, yeah, you know that happened. So there was this memory that came up that explains completely why I thought planes were terrifying um, and my fear of flying went. And because of that, I got a really strong interest in hypnotherapy and just looked for the most comprehensive course I could find uh, to train as a hypnotherapist really just for fun and interest. So I wasn't considering it a career move at the time. I just thought, hey, this is really cool. Um, maybe I can help my friends and family. And then I got qualified. Uh, at the time, I was working in uh, solar energy investments, so like completely, <laughs> completely different career, um, and started working with friends and family after I qualified. They would then start recommending friends and recommending friends, and it just turned into a business, and it became a good enough business where it made more sense for me to be a hypnotherapist than what I was doing because I was really enjoying my work. And then from there, I started working with high performers in different areas, and with the success that they they saw, um, that just sort of continued this word of mouth advertising, which has built my entire business. 
what type of things would a typical hypnotherapist or yourself work with uh, work with someone on? So if I wanted to change, what specific things do you typically come across? Okay, so I, I think there is quite a big difference between typical hypnotherapist and what I work on. Okay. So the standard hypnotherapist, if you're sort of in a town and you speak to the local hypnotherapist, it will probably be quit smoking, lose weight, fear of spiders, fear of heights, those sorts of things. That, how that, effective is that? Would you say hip, like, a, like an average run-of-the-mill hypnotherapist, how effective are they at changing those things? But those things, very, very good. So if you have a, a phobia, I would say hypnotherapy should be one of your first stops. So if you, you know, if fear of heights is impacting your life in some way, or public speaking is another really good one, um, then talking to a hypnotherapist, that makes a lot of sense because it's very easy to track those emotions back. It's mm -hmm. actually the stronger the fear, the easier it is to find the initial sensitizing event. So if you're terrified of something, it's really easy. If if it's like something's just fine tuning, then it's then it's a more difficult task. Um, the work I do is all high performance. So I'm helping people with self-sabotage, fear of failure, fear of success, um, performance in very high stakes environments. So for Olympians, UFC fighters, stock traders on Wall Street, uh, professional gamblers playing poker, those sorts of things. So I'm very much niched in high performance. Those That sort of small area where a small change can be really valuable. So I'm trying to get someone who's at 95% to 97% because that 2% is worth a fortune to them. The sort of the, the hypnotherapist in the high street is trying to help you quit smoking. It's quite a different job, but we're using similar techniques. So if we speak about self-sabotage, it seems to be, I mean, you tell me that sounds relatively common to me. What type of thing would typically be the, the kind of catalytic, catalytic event in that for someone in their life? Um, well, usually it's around self-worth. So if there's, I mean, there's different types of self-sabotage, but if we take um, one of the easy descriptions of it, so let's look at self-sabotage where it's procrastination. It's not doing the things you know you should be doing. Um, so, hey, you know, how should you be building your business, Ben? I should be doing this, this, and this, but I'm not doing it. I don't know why. We'll go into the session, um, and oftentimes it will come up that this client was particularly clever at school. They didn't need to work hard and they built a persona around being the clever kid. That was me, man. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> well, okay. Well, it gets deeper than this. Dude, I didn't so, read a book till the end of high school. People will know that. I never wrote it. I got through high school, almost to the college. I think I got into college without reading a book, period. Yeah. And, and the thing is, usually these people, because they've defined themselves that way, it becomes really scary to start to work hard. Because then if you start working hard and you fail, your ego's crushed. Yep. But if you don't work hard and you fail, you can tell everyone I chose to not work hard. And that's why I didn't get the A, but I got a B that's good enough because I would have gotten A, I would be the best. Right. And we just see this pattern repeating itself through, through adult endeavors. So in their business, you know, in college years, but usually this starts at like age seven to 10 where they're like, I'm clever, I'm being told I'm clever, I do not want to risk this because this is the good thing about me. And so that's not the only initial sensitizing event, but that's the one I see a lot with high performers. So true, so true. Actually, I can see that in my son coming out and I'd be curious, like if you had, have you worked with children? Like I have a nine-year-old son and he's always been told he's bright, he's always been the brightest kid in class. 
And I feel I see him now coming out with like the hesitancy to start new things that might be challenging for him. Yeah. Any, yeah. Anything you might suggest there? Um, well, we, um, I don't work with children, um, but we, you know, I have two seven year olds. So I'm talking to kids around, you know, mm-hmm. talking to them about this all the time. The approach that we take is, you know, we explain to our daughters, um, there's nothing you can do wrong that will allow us, like, make us love you any, any less. Mm-hmm. But there's also nothing you can do right that will allow, that will make us love you anymore. So what we're trying to do is remove the idea that in any way their value or worth is is conditional. Um, But I think it's important to add both sides to that. So it's not just because a lot of us are like, hey, it doesn't matter. You know, you could commit a crime. I'd still love you. But it's also you could get an Olympic gold medal. I won't love you any more than now. Like, it's cool. But there's not this idea of love being traded for yeah, for medals or sports teams or an A on your test. And we try and separate those things. So I'll be able to tell you in 25 years <laughs> whether, whether, so whether it works with effective. Totally. So if you're working with a pro athlete, let's say you've got a pro athlete or a pro uh, poker player or something like that, what types of things are coming up for those people? Um, anxiety is huge. Um, so this self-sabotage, a lot of people see that in athletic performance or you know, professional gambling. Uh, when the pressure comes on. So there might be, I mean, certainly in poker, there might be millions of dollars on the line. And sometimes that's intimidating for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had clients come to me who are professional poker players who know that they sabotage their play as they get close to a final table because they know it's going to be televised and they're uncomfortable playing on TV with their cards being shown in case they embarrass themselves. So they'll sabotage the way they're playing to make sure they bust before the final table. They're not consciously doing this, but it's just happening repeatedly over and over again. And when they go analyze their hands, they can see what they've done. So we're then working through these self-confidence issues and judgment issues. In professional sports, it's the same thing. Um, obviously, in the professional fighting, it's, it's very dangerous, so anxiety is high. And what you're trying to do is allow guys to compete at the same level in the cage that they can spar at. So there's a lot of guys who are absolute monsters in the gym, and then they get to the cage and they, they just can't pull the trigger in the same way. And there's something holding them back. And we're just working through these same memories, programs. Am I good enough? Do I deserve to be world champion? Sort of all of that narrative to let them just perform to their highest ability. So effectively, you know, we obviously United is session together. We can talk about that in a minute, but effectively you're putting them into a specific state and then finding these triggering events that are setting off this cascade of beliefs that ultimately is shaping their outcomes. Exactly. So what we're looking to do is find where they created the program of self-sabotage and then change that memory. So all memories are malleable. So if you remember something right now, in two weeks, when you go back to that same memory, it'll be slightly different. It's always changing. And with hypnotherapy, what we can do is we can remove a lot of the emotion from the memory. So in the case of me at three years old being told there was a plane crash that could have killed my granddad, um, obviously a high amount of fear in that child. You sort of go back to the memory, tell the client, give the child a hug, calm down, explain it rationally, and sort of remove the emotional intensity from it. So the subconscious no longer has a reason to fire this trigger every time something reminds you of that. So in my case, it was getting on a plane would bring back this subconscious program of you are risking your life. 
And most people have no idea these things exist. They're just experiencing these emotions that manifest in whatever way, and they just don't know why they're there. So how do you as a hypnotherapist start to find the root of it? So I'm always looking for the physical sensation that they notice in their everyday life. So uh, let's say it's anger. So someone knows they're getting triggered. Again, in, in my case, a lot of the times it'll be CEO of a company getting triggered by a particular member of staff and can't understand why. And I'll say, okay, how does that anger feel in your body? And they'll say, so this is in the hypnotherapy session. So they're very relaxed. So where do you feel that anger in your body? And they'll say, I feel a pressure in my chest, a sickness in my stomach, whatever it might be for them. And then we'll say, right, I want you to trace back to another time earlier in your life, you felt that same way. Five, four, three, two, one, what's the next time you think of? And they'll bring up a memory and then the next memory and the next memory. And then you usually end up somewhere which just explains the problem. And then there's sort of an art and a science to this. You, you, can, always, you can never be 100% sure, but you get this feeling like, yeah, this is the thing that's taught them this. And then we, then we work through it. And this is why I was saying that when it's very strong emotions, it's actually much faster to get to the root cause than when it's very subtle. So the fine tuning I'm doing with someone who's already at 95% is actually slightly more difficult and usually takes longer than someone who says, I am absolutely deathly terrified of public speaking. Um, there's a reason and their subconscious knows why, because you know the alarm's already on a 10. So your subconscious can find quite quickly where that's coming from. So interesting. So, um, you know, when you're working these with these uh, high performers, how long would it would uh, an average shift take? I know you and I spoke about uh, we did about what, two hours together, and I think it was the most transformative thing I've done to this point in my life. And as I said prior to our call, I've done um, you know many plant medicine sessions. I've done neurofeedback, which is said to be transformative. I've done tons of meditation sessions. I've, I've never done any psychotherapy or anything like that. But as far as like feeling an immediate shift that seems to have stuck as far as just how I feel about myself, my overall feeling tone and energy was completely different after two hours. Is that typical or do people sometimes take one? You said like, if it's something that's not so charged, it takes longer, but I'm curious, like how many sessions you have on average working with people? So I would normally say it's very rare to someone to have a first session and then not be a big shift. So I would expect some shift after a first session. Um, but I'm working with people usually sort of over a longer period of time. So typically I'm doing 10 sessions over six months, or I'm working with people in some cases over years and years, depending on effectively the stakes that they're playing. So, so is, is it going levels deeper or is it always working on the same challenges? So, so usually we're starting with the very charged issues and we typically resolve those pretty quickly or they feel that shift that you're describing pretty quickly in those early mm -hmm. sessions. And then it becomes more about fine tuning uh, their behavior, the more subtle patterns, the ways that they can explore their subconscious to make the most of their potential in their business or their career or whatever it might be. So it starts off very emotional and then it becomes more like a coaching relationship moving forward. Um, and again, this is, this is especially when the stakes are at their highest. So people paying very, very high stakes poker, crypto traders, stock traders, CEOs of large companies, mm. where one small decision might be millions of dollars. And that's where it's this sort of longer term approach. Um, but certainly what you described in terms of a first session having this deep impact and like life just feels easier now, um, that's not rare at all. That's what I experienced and, and what you've experienced as well.
Uh, so for the listener can understand, it's almost like a heaviness was taken away, right? So my energy felt lighter. My brain felt lighter. I don't know how else to explain it. It sounds kind of weird and woo-woo, but it just felt lighter. It felt like I had less overall weight to carry around after that one session. Is that type of palpable experience relatively common with what you do? Um, I would say that's actually the most common description. It's they, they say, I feel like pressures come off my body or my mm. mind. And what it is, is they've been carrying around a fear or a stress that they thought was part of them. So they thought that they are an angry person or I am an anxious person or whatever it is that belief. And they've now been separated from that belief to, I learned to be angry because it kept me safe. Or I learned to be anxious because it kept me safe. And with that separation removes all of that pressure. And it's just like, okay, I'm me. And if I can unlearn that, I can unlearn other things. And I don't need to be worried about judgment from my family or my friends or my parents in quite the same way. Um, so many of us, or I would say almost everyone, is carrying this emotional weight from childhood. Um, oftentimes, you know, quite a lot around, am I good enough? Am I lovable? Um, you know, parental issues. And as adults, if we can disconnect from that, which, you know, logically we know we should, but it's very difficult. It just feels like an enormous amount of pressure and for, is released and you have this different freedom in your life. For the listener, I had some really interesting memories come up that I had no idea existed and they were so crystal clear, like exactly what was happening in my life. And again, it, it felt so real, like I was there. And then as you just went through and kind of, you know, changed my beliefs around those things, it just felt like it just lifted and it was just an incredible experience. And so I think it's important that I bring that up because I had no idea those memories were there. I don't even know if they're real, but the perception of them felt real. And now the shift in perception of them also continues to feel real. Like, and as you say, the self-worth changes, the conversation you have in your head changes around the person who put it there, you know, the person who was maybe uh, putting the charge there completely shifts. And like my interactions with them since have just been different. And it's such an interesting thing to be able to step into a relationship that for, you know, 35 years has felt this like negative charge and all of a sudden it's not there. That has so much potential to change so many aspects of life on, on a simple level. Mm. And, and then that's the thing is this, it was a, it was just a learned behavior. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's this, I have learned that this person is a threat or this person is judgmental or this person will make me feel awkward. It doesn't have to be huge traumatic things. But then when you get that release and we adjust these memories and we see this is another person just trying to get through life. Um, you know, all of us have issues with our parents. Mm -hmm. um, all of our parents probably were just doing the best they could with their faculties at the time, with their abilities at the time. Yeah. And if you can just start to feel sorry for them, if they didn't do things perfectly, instead of blame them, uh, that reduces the pressure dramatically. And a lot of the sessions, you know, whether it's with a fighter or a poker player or a stock trader, you know, in reality, a lot of it's just around forgiving parents, forgiving ex-girlfriends, forgiving, um, you know, the uncle or whoever else, and um, just starting to release things and see, hey, humans are humans. We're all doing our best with what we can. And I can feel sorry. I can feel empathy for someone who is angry at a six-year-old because what sort of stable person would get angry at a six-year-old and sort of pass the way that felt from yourself, the way you feel as a six-year-old, to pass it to the adult. So, hey, I don't need to feel bad about being a bad kid. Um, 
I need to feel sorry for them that they couldn't control their emotions. They didn't know how to deal with children properly. And as you pass that on, it just feels different. We're doing this at a subconscious level. So as you're passing on sort of the empathy almost, because so feeling from a feeling of blame to a feeling of empathy, um, then that trigger doesn't make sense to your subconscious anymore. And then you can just move forward. Fascinating. Do you ever get high performers? I experience this quite often. High performers who say, I'm not sure what's wrong. Like, I don't have any conscious awareness of why I'm self-tabotaging. So maybe they've become good at blocking their emotions or muting their feelings. What do you do in those scenarios? Um, so I'd say that's probably the majority of the high performers who come mm -hmm. to me. They then they don't know as they don't have a specific thing. They have a I know I could perform better, but it feels like there's a barrier in my way. That's how so, I felt before a call. Yeah, and, th and that's yeah. like the starting point. I'm like, okay. Um, so then I explore it. Like you said, our call was two hours. 90 minutes of that um, was really an exploratory conversation of me trying to you know, hear from the things that you're saying about your past, the way your tone of voice changes when you talk about certain people or certain time periods. Um, the sorts of things that were triggers for you in our conversation. And that's helping me build a picture of the type of direction I think we're going to be taking with the hypnotherapy session. So I'm spending sort of 90 minutes getting as much data as possible. And then just through my experience, I've probably done 13,000 sessions now. Like I've Jeez. done a lot of hypnotherapy sessions. And just from having done all of those, I'm like, okay, the direction I think I need to go with Ben is here, 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 because, you know, Again, my subconscious is working. When you do that, that many sessions of anything, um, you start to get, you just get patterns and trends and you just have an idea of what direction to head. Totally. So I understand that a lot of it's probably subconscious. You just start to have a feeling. Mm -hmm. But if you were to bring that to like your conscious awareness and offer to the audience, like what you might be looking for in someone's facial expressions, their tone of voice, maybe the, the rate of speech. Um, what types of things would, would kind of man would manifest in someone if it, they're expressing on something that they're maybe afraid of or, or that, that may be a triggering event? So, so what I would do, um, part of that intake, I always talk about both parents. So I'll say, hey, are your parents alive? Are they together? Are they divorced? And they'll say they're alive and they're divorced or whatever it might be. What was it like growing up with your dad? And sometimes I get a one or two word answer right? That means it's an issue. <laughs> it was great. Okay, probably wasn't great. You know, so I need you to explain, talk into it. And then I'll do the same with the mom. And what you'll typically notice um, is the tone of voice will change on one of the parents. So the way the client's sounding, when they're describing other things, they, they speak one way. And then we'll get to one parent or we'll get to one experience. And the pace that they speak will change. Sometimes it's slower, more thoughtful. Sometimes it's faster. Or there'll be like a cracking in the voice. Um, again, hard to describe. But, but if you were listening to these sessions, it would be very clear for anyone to pick out that, hey, you know, you've sounded like this the whole way through. We've got to your mom. And then suddenly it's different. And then we go away from your mom and it's changed again. I'm like, okay, I know I need to be covering issues with this client's mother because something is going on there. There's some kind of restriction. Um, and then we're just talking about, you know, obvious things like, you know, when's anxiety coming up in your life? Are you getting frustrated? Are you getting angry with people? Um, and then, you know, in your business, what are the things you know you should be doing that you're not doing? Oftentimes, people can give me a long list of the things they know their competitors are doing that they're not doing themselves. That has to be self-sabotage. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, they know what to do, but they're choosing not to do it. And that means 
strategic coaching can't actually help that problem. So more strategies can't help if you're not applying the strategies you currently believe you should be doing. And I would say that's one of the sort of flashpoints that the audience should be aware of is, you know, should I be getting mindset coaching or should I be getting strategy coaching? You should get strategy coaching if you don't know what to do. If you know what to do, but you're not doing it, then you should be speaking to a mindset coach. But sort of the business coaching comes first. And then if you find you can't pull the trigger, then the mindset coaching takes the next place. Okay, so let's differentiate between an average person who calls a mindset coach and someone who's doing what you do. Because, you know, mindset coach for, for many people is, you know, when people, people think of a mindset coach, they may just be like, oh, it's like just going to get you out of positive or into positive thinking and out of negative thinking. And that's so far from what you do. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the problem is with these labels, um, we all sort of choose what we call ourselves in this industry. Yeah. You know, you're a high performance coach, a mindset coach, a business coach, a life coach. Um, but all of my business comes from word of mouth. And I think that's the case with most coaches. Um, you know, the people who get results, typically they'll be very expensive and they'll be very busy. And the people who don't get results, they might have expensive prices, but they're not going to be very busy <laughs> because everything comes from, from word of mouth in this industry. So one of the things I would say is, you know, the best way to find a coach is typically from a recommendation from somebody who's actually worked with that coach. Um, you know, talk to people in your environment. If you're a mastermind, speak to people at the mastermind, you know, who have you worked with? Who was really good? Who changed your life? Um, and you can start building a list of the credible people in the industry. Um, if you just go on Google or you go on Facebook and you know say, hey, I'm looking for a coach, you're going to get 15 people in your Facebook messages. Um, but yeah, you, you don't really know how good they are unless you speak to somebody who's actually worked with them. Yeah. I'd love to have you walk us through your process. And I know after 13,000 sessions, nobody's going to pick up and, and steal your secrets. Oh, so I'm not curious. <laughs> yeah, I know you're not. I know. Uh, but as I'm saying, like, good luck, right? Uh, you're you're truly exceptional at what you do. That's I'm, I feel truly blessed to have you on the podcast. So if you walk through like that, what are you asking or what you're trying to decipher there in that first 90 minute intake? And then what like the actual hypnosis part looks like? So I think you give us a bit of an outline of what the 90 minute session would look like. You're trying to just get to the root of it by asking very specific questions. Do you have a process that you follow in that time? Or is it just like, I always start with the mom and the dad and then find where the charge is and then kind of follow it down with very specific question asking processes? Um, I, have a, I have a list of questions that I'm going through. So I'm always going through the same questions pretty much. Obviously, it will change slightly if it's a different sport or a different industry. So there'll be some things that are niche specific. Um, but I'm really looking to get where their current relationship is, if they have children, where their relationship is as a parent and with their children. Um, I'm looking at the relationships that they've had pre with their parents. And again, that's usually where most of the issues I'll be covering in a hypnotherapy session will be coming up. Um, I'll be talking to them about previous coaching or counseling or therapy that they've done, what they liked and what they didn't like. Uh, so there's a huge amount of information. If, you know, if there are coaches listening to this, finding out some a client's preferences for the coaching that they've had previously is unbelievably valuable. Why is that? Um, people will tell you, uh, well, one is if they say every coach I've ever worked with was terrible, probably you're going to be added to that list. You know, if someone is completely negative, it gives you an idea of the sort of battle you're going to have with this client. Um, oftentimes though, they'll have preferences of, Hey, I didn't like this coach. They never listened to me, or I didn't like this coach. 
um, because they were just asking me to solve my own problems and they weren't guiding me in any way. So some people want the, their hand held and some people want to be pushed and some people want to be told what to do. And we're looking to build rapport as much as possible in this first interaction. So certainly for my kind of work, the higher the rapport, the more trust that's built, the more chance the client's going to go where they need to go. So I can guide them towards solving their own issue. Effectively, they're always solving their own issue. I'm just a guide helping them getting to the state where they can start resolving their own problems. Um, I'll then talk about the emotions, like like I was describing, you know, where are you seeing anxiety, procrastination, self-sabotage, fear of fear, failure, fear of success, um, anger issues, et cetera. Um, I'll then talk about how they are socially. So what does your social life look like? How do you interact with friends? How do you feel in a busy environment? Um, we'll talk about potential drug or alcohol abuse that they're struggling with, any other vices they might be struggling with. That often tells us there's an issue. If someone has lots of vices, usually there's quite a lot of work for us to be doing. There's, there's something that those vices are, yeah, are sort of hiding for them. Um, and then I'll talk about key moments in their life where, you know, they, they feel things shifted for them. So, you know, are there any major events that have happened that you know you feel have created trauma in your life? And we'll talk through those. And then I'll ask them what they're looking to get from working with me. And sometimes it's, it's not what I'm expecting it to be. And that's, again, you know, for coaches listening, really, really useful. Make sure that you're on the same page in terms of what the client actually wants to get from this. Because sometimes, you know, my assumption is not correct. Right. So it's very, very important to sort of set some targets so we can say, what would be a success? If I'm, let's pretend I'm magic. What is the success case for this? What will make you tell your friends I'm the best coach you've ever worked with? And, you know, I want a very clear description from them of exactly what they're looking for. And if they're not sure, we have to really dig into that and make sure they come up with what is success cases for working with me. And as I say, a lot of this is done, as you know, um, we go through this all in a lot of depth. Um, we'll then cover the real basic low-hanging fruit stuff, which is diet, exercise, sleep. Um, so if someone hasn't been sleeping, um, probably they're not going to be in a good mindset. If they don't exercise at all, they're going to be. So there's some things we can just set as homeworks, which are going to make them feel better anyway. And then as we've worked through all of this, in my mind, I'm creating, as I say, normally it's 10 sessions that I'm working with someone. I'm creating a hierarchy of their issues. So everyone's usually got more than one thing that they should be working on. And I'm thinking, okay, this is costing them the most money and the most emotional distress. We're working on this first, probably do a few sessions on that. And then I want to be moving to this. And then I want to be moving to this. And if we have time, we're going to try to cover this as well in those sessions. So I'm creating this pattern of like performance for them. So if we manage to just hit this big thing, then the investment for them is going to be worthwhile. But if we manage to hit that first, then this, then this, then it's going to be extraordinary improvement in life for them. Um, and then we're going into that first hypnotherapy session, like I was describing. And we're starting with the big emotion. That so before we get into the, hypno the hypnotherapy session, I want to come back because that we can, we can dive into. But I want to come back to talk about why you brought up sleep, nutrition, exercise as an essential part to the transformation process, because I think skipping over that would be an injustice to the audience. So why is that stuff so important to the brain being receptive to change in the unconscious state? Um, well, I see it almost more as a sign of where the person's at emotionally. Mm. So if somebody's not, someone doesn't have self-care, so somebody's not working out, they are eating poorly and they're not sleeping properly, um, it's just a lot of red flags that there's some self-worth issue. 
because I, I believe that the vast majority of adults are aware they might not know technically exactly what to do in terms of the best body they could achieve, but they are aware that in order to be healthy, you need to be exercising regularly. They most most adults are aware that you need to get around seven hours of sleep minimum a night. Um, they are aware that they shouldn't eat pizza every day. So for me, this is like collecting the red flags of what's their self-love, their self-worth, because if someone's successful in business, but they never exercise, they're eating pizza all day, and they're not getting sleep at night because they're drinking, there's, there's going to be a lot of work for us to do mindset-wise to get that in order before they can get to that next level in their business. Um, so I just see the importance as without these things, um, it's unlikely you're going to be a very high performer in life. And it, it's like, a, as I say, these are the red flags I'm looking for, for the direction of these sessions. Yeah, so if someone knows better and doesn't follow through on it, you see that as a red flag for self-worth rather than maybe just they don't value it. Um, I think it's very rare for someone to truly. So I'm having a very intense, effective, quite intimate conversation with somebody. Mm. People who are, let's say, you know, substantially overweight because they are eating a lot and they're not exercising. I think when you're having a very close, intimate, pers personal conversation with them, um, they know that they should be doing that. And it's affecting the length of time that they're going to live, how they're feeling on a day-to-day -day basis when they put their clothes on, the way they're looked at, the way they feel walking up the stairs. And I think it's quite easy to say, hey, I'm just happy living like this. But when you're having these very personal conversations, I think oftentimes I, I find the truth comes out that actually... They do know that they'd be better if, if they were healthier. Totally, I have a belief that you know the overeating problem for most people is just like, hey, I'm I'm eating to cover something up, right? I'm I'm moving away from anxiety, moving away from fear, and this changes my physiological feeling, my physiological state. So for most people that I've come across that have an overeating challenge or or overeating uh, problem, we'll say, it's usually just I'm running away from something, right? So I totally agree. Yeah. And, and again, this is just, a, you know, I'm certainly not, I'm not a dietitian, I'm not a fitness coach, but just I'm looking for the way that they talk about it. So, you know, it's not for me to decide whether they should be a vegan, whether they should be doing paleo, like none of that's relevant. What's relevant is they're doing the thing that they believe is best for them. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the key part from, from this mindset hypnotherapy side, more so than whether I believe what they're doing is the most optimal thing. It, it's much more about are they being congruent with their own beliefs? It's interesting. So I have this, this kind of thought of this paradigm of like life is, is a succession of decisions based on what's better for me or what's not. Like at any moment, I have a decision I can go, I can choose the thing that I know is better for me. I know this is going to move the needle forward in my business, move the needle forward in my body, move the needle forward in my relationship. But and, and and if we become conscious of those decisions, we can move the needle forward in everything. But most people, one, maybe not conscious of the decisions and their unconscious is running their life. Or even if they are conscious of the decision, they don't always choose the better path. And it's such an interesting reality to realize. It's just this this sum of positive and negative decisions. And if you can just shift their, their uh, self-worth at a level that says, hey, choose this positive thing more often, seems like everything will shift. Does that sound reasonable? It's basically that. Yeah. <laughs> but you're, you're trying to understand why they don't think they're valuable enough to do that yet. Mm -hmm.
So, so the work I'm doing is okay. So you're not making these good decisions. Let's say around alcohol. Um, let's let's look at why you believe that you are someone who should be drinking a bottle of wine every night. What does that mean if you drink a bottle of wine every night? Um, and, and just sort of work at the very much the root cause of the self-love and I deserve to be healthy. And, you know, just because my dad said he loved my brother more than me or whatever it was that, you know, created this narrative that you're not good enough or you're trying to run away from. And then we go into, okay, what's the cumulative impact of you drinking one bottle of wine a week instead of seven? You know, what does that mean? And I'll have them visualize, you know, whatever that is, 365 empty bottles of wine at the end of the year versus, you know, 52 bottles of wine. And how different does that look? And what does that mean for your liver? And, and just start to make the, a picture of this is your life if you make this change and this is your life if you don't. And every single time you make that decision, you're either moving towards this picture of you or this picture of you. How does that feel? And try and make it very visceral for them. And the more visceral you can make that, and, and really sort of the more horrific you can make the negative, and the more positive you can make the positive, the more likely they are to make that decision each time because they're going to follow, follow whatever makes them feel most comfortable. But a lot of the time, we do need to hit this deep seated self worth because. If someone, a lot of people believe that they don't believe they don't deserve to be rich or it's bad being rich. Like that is very, very standard. They have an amount of money they're comfortable hitting and they really can't get past it. There is a wealth thermostat that people have created through their childhoods. And um, to get people through that, you have to understand why they've created that value for themselves. Mm. And that's something that if, if you don't do the, the deeper work first, they'll find ways to self-sabotage and, and bring themselves back down. And I feel like that would be something you probably come across a lot. I know, I, I know I've come across it a lot as people have that, that block, that, that ceiling that prevents them from growing uh, financially. Um, so one thing that came up during that, that uh, little thing you were saying there is like, what happens when someone, let's say you come across a drug addict or a alcoholic and they say, well, you know, I like drugs or I like alcohol. Is it impossible to change those people? Um, I mean, one, they're, they're very unlikely to come to me. So, I mean, I really don't advertise for drugs or alcohol. It's more like a high performer who mm. we're working on other things and they're like, oh, by the way, I'm drinking every day. Right. So, you know, if they're an alcoholic or a drug addict, I'll be passing them on to someone who specializes. Right. In well, sometimes high performers are those they, guys. They have right? those things. Yeah. Mm. Um, but usually that comes down to, okay, we'll just talk through again, just being logical and rational. Um what happens if we spend the next 10 years drinking half a bottle of whiskey every day? What does that look like 10 years from now? Mm -hmm. um, and start building the picture because a lot of the time people might say, I'm happy with how this is right now. I'm happy with these decisions right now. But it's because they're looking at the decision of how it makes them feel in the moment, not the cumulative impact of this. So we take the, we take the conversation to 10-year timescales. Right. And we reframe. So I'm not I'm not interested in finding out if your Friday night is better if you're drunk or if you're sober. I'm interested in finding out when you're 50 years old versus now at 40. Like, what does it look like at 50 if we continue with this behavior? Okay, you're saying that hey, it's good in the short term. At, at what stage are you going to stop before 50 if you're saying it's going to end up in a bad location? So are you going to say you're going to stop now? Are you saying in five years? Why in five years is it different to stopping now? So we just change the logic that they're using in those moments. But if someone's truly a high performer and they're drinking huge amounts of alcohol, um, it's, 
if they stop drinking the huge amounts of alcohol, they're going to perform even better. They're going to sleep better. They're going to have a clearer head. And it's hard for anyone to argue about that as much as they want to. I mean, it's, it's too simplistic. Do you often see um, physical changes in people when you remove the mental barriers? Um, well, over time, certainly, in terms of if they, they haven't been exercising or they haven't been eating well and they start showing themselves respect. Um, one thing that's interesting, sometimes I can almost see a, um, a physical sign of like a change in the stress in their face mm -hmm. um, after sessions. So sometimes people are coming in very sort of tense and then we'll work through and we'll release these issues. And, and sometimes there is this sort of difference in the way they're carrying themselves afterwards. Um, and my brain just goes to like, if you can remove the, the alarm bells, right? The line in the corner, we're bringing down their sympathetic arousal, maybe turning on the parasympathetic nervous system. Their body goes into more recovery mode. Maybe they have less desire to eat. Maybe they have more desire to, or more ability to recover and, and often get in better shape. So again, that, that just curious if that came up. So we, we kind of uh, sidetracked away from the actual hypnosis process. So I want to come back to that. It's like, so people don't have an idea of what that might look like. Okay. So, um, the beginning is like a guided meditation. That's the easiest way to describe it. Um, there is no magic to hypnotherapy. You're trying to get, I'm trying to guide someone to their own natural state of hypnosis. So a trance state that humans are capable of reaching. Now, this will usually look like breathing exercises, visualizations, and counting them down in some manner. We get to the end of this relaxation process. So if you are used to doing meditation, that sort of feeling that you get to after you've done the body scan in meditation. And then with meditation, you're looking to let go of your thoughts as they come through. So I'm focusing on my breath, the thought comes in, I focus back on my breath and I let go of the thought. And that's sort of mindfulness meditation. With hypnotherapy, we're looking to intensely focus on a single emotion. So instead of letting go of thoughts, we're getting to that same very relaxed state and then focusing in on, on that physical sensation that, that we're describing as the, you know, the anxiety, the anger, whatever it might be. And then connecting it back to root cause, as I was describing. So... When else have you felt this way? When else have you felt this way? When else have you felt this way? And we'll hit some memories that quite usually, quite obviously, are traumatic and have caused issues. They don't have to be horrific memories, but it's just enough for the child to question their self-worth effectively. So the teacher has called them out in class and called them stupid or whatever. You know, these sorts of things that come up again and again and again. Um, We'll then work through those memories, as I say, showing love to the child, reframing it. So the classic one of the teacher made you stand up in class and everyone laughed at you and whatever it might be, um, we'll reframe that as, you know, your teacher, Mrs. Smith, wasn't very good at her job. She's a, she was, how old was she? Oh, she was a 50-year-old lady. Did a, yeah. How stressed did she look? Incredibly stressed. Okay, so how should we reframe this? This wasn't about you being a failure or a stupid person. This was about a 50-year-old teacher having a bad day at work and sort of change the way the memory looks. And as you start changing the way the memory looks, you're going to remember it differently. So we're manipulating that forever in the person's mind. And we're removing the emotional triggers of everyone judges me, everyone thinks I'm stupid, to it's a shame Mrs. Smith was having a bad day. That's embarrassing for her. If her peers could have watched what she was doing, she would have been embarrassed about how poor she was at teaching that day. Um, so you're like shifting the feeling of the whole situation. And we do that through a number of memories. 
Um, and then I'll do other methodologies within hypnotherapy as well. Things like parts therapy, where you're talking to different parts of the person's personality, getting an understanding of where that's coming from. Um, visualizations around success in the future, future pacing, you know, how are things going to look in six months? How are things going to look in two years from now? Um, creating, as I say, the split. So I want you to visualize what happens if you continue with your behavior this way. I want you to push that out a year. What does it look like? How's your life? Another, you know, what does it look like if we do all of these things correctly? How different are those two pictures? Add this to your decision-making process. And there's just you know, probably 30 different types of exercises like that, that I'll choose from depending on how the session's going and where I'm seeing the emotion. Um, and then we'll effectively, and then we'll bring them out. Um, and I'll, I'll talk to them about, okay, so what feels different? What's changed? What hasn't changed? And then we'll go into, you know, the next session will probably be two, three weeks forward. And they'll be messaging me in between the sessions of, hey, I was I had to go and give a public speech and it felt different to before. This felt easier, this felt harder, whatever it might be. And then we're just setting up for the next session of what hit and worked and what didn't. And then following that through, navigating that through the sessions that I'm working with the client. And so one thing that came to mind when you were saying that, my first grade teacher slapped me. And I think that made me rebellious for my entire life. Like I was thinking through, I have this kind of attitude of just being very rebellious. She slapped me in front of my whole class and it set me up for the rest of my life to feel like I was a rebel because I, you know, teacher slapped me and I kind of got back in her face. It's amazing how that little stuff comes up and you're like, that can shape you so much. You're not sure why it's there. And it's so crazy how that shapes the entire rest of your life. And then, as I say, if you can then shift that. So your subconscious said, I'm naughty, I'm a rebel. Mm -hmm. And we dig back in there and we're like, hey, we're going to go into the DOS programming behind this and say, Mm -hmm. wow, that teacher is so bad at her job that she slapped a child. How embarrassing is that for that teacher? She risked her career because she couldn't control her emotions. And then you sort of shift across the emotional weight from this. And then suddenly that program's then running differently because, oh, perhaps I'm not a rebel. Perhaps there was an abusive teacher in that class. And, you know, and then this starts, the program runs differently and then the triggers hit differently. I just start to think about all these kids out there who have parents who are really relatively unconscious in their, in their decision-making, their, their ability to process really anything. And these kids are just kind of victims to these often horrible scenarios or, or seemingly sometimes insignificant scenarios that cause these horrible cascades of perceptions and that, that turn into realities. It's so interesting that this world is... Um, you know, evolving how it evolves. I'd love to see this stuff in the hands of more people. So one, they understand that it's possible to change and two, like actually having access to people like yourself. So where would you suggest people go if they want to read about hypnosis? There's a couple more questions I want to ask you before we part, but um, like what, what's the best resource if someone obviously can't afford to, to come to you? Maybe that's kind of the tip at the top of the totem pole, but if they can't, where is another resource they could start to go to understand this stuff or maybe get some help? I mean, I have an app you can download for free called right. Mind. So I've got Crime a Mind. Yeah. So, yep. so that's a starting point. That's just on iPhone. Um, in terms of books, there's, there's a really old book called Hypnotherapy by Dave Ellman, which I like as a good starter for people. Um, so, so that's a good start. Good start. There's an author, Milton Erickson, is mm-hmm. one of the fathers of hypnotherapy, checking out his work. Um, there's The Art of Hypnotic Regression by Roy Hunter. That that speaks a lot more towards the sort of work that I do. Um, so so they would be books 
that I would look at. Okay. Um, in terms of if you're looking to find a hypnotherapist, I'm very much everything I've described today is re regression-based hypnotherapy. And there are different schools of thought. There are some people who do non-content hypnotherapy, and that's more suggestion-based. So you're not actually covering the issues. You're just reframing the way that you're you're viewing it. So mm -hmm. changing the color, sort of NLP type exercises. Mm -hmm. um, again, this is some people prefer that kind of hypnotherapy, but make sure you discuss with the hypnotherapist the sort of work they do and make sure it matches with the sort of work that you're interested in doing. Um, so if you're looking to do the deep memory work, you want someone who specializes in regression. If you don't want to cover those memories because some people just do not want to go there, then find someone who focuses on non-content content-free hypnotherapy or suggestion hypnotherapy, and, and then you can try the work without covering the memory. So that was literally what I wanted to ask you. So I think hypnosis gets a bad rap when people start getting into the idea of suggestions. Like, you know, I could I could be suggestive to you that I could make you do something outside of your own control. Can you speak to that a little bit? Is that, is that reality or is that is that kind of uh, um, myth? So the, the stage shows, um, the way that they work up, there's a very small percentage of people who are very suggestible. Uh, there's also social pressure of being brought up onto a stage, and there are also some sort of tricks that you can that you can use that are using social pressure, the suggestibility of the person, and then some hypnosis. Um, so the person on stage might believe it, but the hypnotherapist can't do that. The hypnotist can't do that to everyone in the audience. It's going to be a tiny personality profile, and then quite often people who are at least at a subconscious level want to be on stage doing these things for the attention. So they're, they're actually they want to be doing this. And that allows them to go along with the narrative and the hypnotist gives them an excuse to be able to do that effectively. Um, I don't believe in sort of the, I can't tell someone to go and do something they don't want to do and they're going to do it. Um, it's not like some magical power. This is a therapy with a, you know, a way of effectively unlocking the program for the individual to resolve their own issues. So, so yeah, it's not some magical click my fingers, you'll start dancing. But if you want desperately to dance in front of people, that would create a wonderful excuse for you to be the center oh. of attention. Got it. So I've used your app and for the audience listening is fantastic. I use your sleep um, hypnosis almost every day. I I'm a pretty good sleeper to begin with, but I think just having uh, just the superpower of being able to get to sleep, your app has been incredibly helpful. So thank you. Um, so definitely something I suggest to the listener. And if anyone has the financial ability to uh, get in touch with you and, and do a session, I couldn't recommend it more highly. Where's the best way for them to reach out to you, Elliot? Um, so I'm at elliotrow.com um, and there's an application form. And I've also trained a number of hypnotherapists. So again, I work predominantly with high performers. My, my prices are pretty high, um, but we have a whole team of people for all sorts of price ranges who use the same methodology as me. So you just fill out an application form and we'll fit you with the right sort of hypnotherapist. E-L-L-I-O-T-R-O-E? Yeah. Dot com. So e one T? Uh, single T, R-O-E dot com. All right, perfect. We will put that in the show notes at muscleintelligence.com as well. For anyone listening, if you guys want to check that out, Elliot, man, uh, truly grateful for your time for our session together. And I will definitely be uh, doing some more sessions with you in the future. I saw really a tremendous difference. And for the audience listening, the reason I had Elliot on is we worked together separately and it was just transformative, nothing sh nothing short of miraculous. So I wanted you to get on here to talk a little bit about your, your method and your approach. And I'm super grateful for our time together, Elliot. Thank you. Man, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. That's a wrap, ladies and gents. Thank you very much for tuning into the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. I love that you are willing to give us your attention, give us your trust, give us your ear. 
because I know that there's a lot of people out there trying to take your attention. I'm so grateful for the constant feedback I get on uh, Instagram, on Apple Podcasts, on YouTube, on Spotify, on how you guys are enjoying the show. So if you love it, leave us a review. Don't forget to subscribe because we have so many amazing guests coming at you in weeks to come. Thanks again to Elliot Rowe for joining us. I know that was absolutely mind-blowing. It was for me. And as I said, I've had the pleasure of working personally with Elliot. If you want to get in touch with him, a great way to find him is through Instagram. We'll link to that directly in the show notes. Thank you very much to magnesiumbreakthrough.com, which is ultimately our great friend by Optimizers for providing the highest quality magnesium, seven different chelates to help you optimize your body, to decrease stress, to improve sleep, and improve over 700 different biochemical processes in the body that are dependent on magnesium. Head over to magnesiumbreakthrough.com slash muscle intelligence, or just go over to magnesiumbreakthrough.com and use the code muscle at checkout to get hooked up with 10% off, guys. This is a product that I use every day, and I suggest most people uh, use it as well. And again, always check with your healthcare practitioner before taking my advice or anyone else's advice for that matter. We want to make sure you're always safe. And one final shout out to our amazing show sponsors from today, Bubs Naturals. MCT powder and collagen that are second to none, guys. And if you're not already using MCT and collagen, I suggest most people, not all, add it to their regimen. Collagen is amazing for your hair, your skin, your nails, your uh, joint health. Uh, it's something that I usually will take pre-workout to improve my joints. And I'll often take it a little bit with dinner or after dinner to improve my sleep. It tends to help uh, regulate blood sugar and when you sleep because of the amino acid glycine really seems to help blood sugar regulation. So if you're someone who's looking to lose body fat, someone looking to, who looks to improve their joints, someone who wants to improve the appearance of their hair, their skin, their nails, and collagen is the way to go. Head over to Bubs Naturals, B-U-B-S-N-A-T-U-R-L-A-L-S dot com use the code muscle get hooked up with 25% off have an amazing day with your greatest life in a body that you absolutely love thank you so much for tuning into muscle intelligence if you enjoyed today's episode please be sure to share it with at least one person you know make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode this podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Pikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.